Jason uh, just recently resigned as uh, pastor of the North End Campus at, uh, of Church of the Rock. Um, and he is, I believe, looking uh, perhaps to do some church planning. Yeah. I think that's maybe what he's going to talk about yeah. a little bit this morning. He was recently down with Francis Chan uh, in San Francisco. Um, and so we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens here. But before he starts, uh, I just want to pray with him. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for Brother Jason here. God, I pray that uh, this morning as he speaks, uh, that your message would come out clear. Um, God, that you would, by your Spirit, speak to our hearts, uh, that we would have ears to hear, um, that our hearts would be open to receive what you have this morning. God, this is all for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I also have my class four, so I felt like you were looking right at me when you're like, anyone who has lots of time has a class four. But we are busy this weekend, sorry, yeah. As much as I'd love to hang out with youth for a whole weekend, we are very busy. Um, yeah, my name is Jason. I just want to say, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. You are very strong and uh, patient and gracious, and you put up with uh, dark, thick, black makeup, long hair, women's jeans, and a whole bunch of other things. So thank you for loving me through the, the whole thing, and uh, you're an amazing mom. <laughs> If you can't make fun of yourself, then really, I don't know if there's any point to living. Um, so yeah, we're going to be in Psalms because that's what you're doing. So what I thought I would do in preparation was just to read through uh, all of Psalms on Thursday. And uh, as I did that, I became incredibly overwhelmed. Did make it through to the end. Uh, humble brag there, but um, it, was, uh, it was a challenge because one thing that I began to notice was that I really resonate with David because I am an extreme personality. And uh, as I said, like, I went from like one phase to another to another and have to go all the way on every one of those things and be all in. And I feel like that's exactly what David is like. He's at one moment just at the depths of despair and he is just going to mourn and weep and grieve with all that he has. And then the next moment, he's at this pinnacle of joy and delight and praise and worship. But whatever place he is in, he gives God that whole thing. He gives him all of his grief, all of his sorrow, all of his frustration, all of his joy, all of his life, all of his purpose. And uh, as Mike said, we had the opportunity to be in San Francisco. I did not, in fact, hang out at all with Francis Chan. Uh, for those of you who know him, um, there's a lot of like this and a lot of anxiety in his preaching. His hands are far larger than mine. And so there won't, I just won't be like, oh, God, why? that's not what we're going to be doing here. But we did, um, we did get to spend time with some of the elders. And what they're doing in San Francisco is planting house churches and are really focused on community and this life of being all in with Jesus. And so uh, that was really great, but while we were there, I began to be really convicted, and then as I started reading through Psalms on Thursday, was very, very convicted. And I had to check myself and go, do I actually really love Jesus? Do I, do I love him? Is my whole life about him? Is every moment, every breath, every thought, every desire, every delight in Jesus? Do I long, crave, need his presence? Do I believe that this book is enough? That his presence is enough for life? Does my soul delight in him? Is meditating on the word day and night really something that I do? Do I really live as though I can't go on one moment without him sustaining me, without him giving me life? Am I all in for Jesus? And what does that even look like and, and what does that mean? What does it mean for me to love God? And so my question for you, and, and you obviously don't need to answer publicly whether or not you love Jesus. Um, I think that could get very awkward, um, or we would all just lie 
probably, and say yes. Um, But my question for you is, do you love Jesus? When you read the Psalms and you hear David say something like, I meditate on your word day and night, you are my life. Is that really reflective of who you are, of what you do? And this is not, I am not here to try and condemn or anything else, but just to challenge, just to ask, because I think one thing that I noticed as I was going through this in a new way is David is not afraid to just come before God and say, God, search me. Search me. Search my heart. Search my mind. Look deep into who I am. And if there's anything in me that doesn't reflect your glory, that you don't delight in, that doesn't worship you, then change me. And as I read that, I was like, man, I don't really want to spend a lot of time honestly saying, God, search my most inner thoughts. The darkest, most deepest recesses of my heart. I give you full access to just get in there and to change me and convict me. I would much rather spend my time being able to just get together with believers and sing and worship and things be pretty good and stay there. And yet, David is just, God, search me, know me, change me. It's all about you. And so, honestly, I just want to stand up here and the first thing to do is just to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not even close to being in that place. But I desperately want to be in that place. Long to be in that place. And I want to confess that anything that I, that I would say would, would not be out of this place of like, yeah, like it's all figured out or I'm there. But rather to say this morning, would you maybe want to journey toward that place where it's like, no, even deeper. Even if my answer is, yeah, I for sure love him, but like deeper. Jesus, let it be all about you. Everything, whatever you say. When we sing beautiful words like, I will follow you wherever. To say this morning, Jesus, do you even want me to stay in Rosenord or do you want me to go somewhere else? Where are you calling me? Who needs your word? Who needs your presence? Who are you calling me to? Wherever you go, I will follow into any comfort, discomfort, wherever it might be, just to be in your presence, just to know you, that you are so good to me, right? And this is where, for me, rubber meets the road, where it's like, is Jesus so good to me that it just has to come out? That when I'm with people who don't know him, where it's like, man, I just want you to know how good he is. When I'm with other believers, where it's like the first thing is just like, let's just talk about how good he is, what he's done in our life, where he is truly everything. He is what just wants to burst out, right? We, we live in this amazing place in the presence of God by his spirit, and the spirit's purpose and desire is to glorify the Son, Jesus, to the glory of the Father. Are we allowing him to just break and to burst forth from us to praise Jesus to the knowledge and the glory of the Father? And that's the journey that I'm on and have been thoroughly convicted about in doing this. So Mike, thanks for asking me to preach purely so that I could be broken and and hopefully changed. But we're going to be in Psalm 15, and so you can turn there, and I'm going to read through it, and then pray, and then maybe we'll jump into some of, some of the stuff that's there. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. God, we love you. We thank you that this morning we get to be with you in your presence. 
Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word? Would you speak to our hearts? Where we need conviction, would you convict? Where we need healing, would you heal? Where we need joy, would you bring joy and delight? But ultimately, Holy Spirit, would you make our hearts leap for joy and delight in who Jesus is? Would it be such that if there was no music and there was no one to speak, that we would be just as hungry and desperate to be in this place to seek you and to sing your praise and to pray and to come into your presence with believers? That Jesus, we would know that you are truly enough, that your word is enough, that your presence is enough, and that we need nothing else but we thank you for everything else that you have so graciously given us as well. And so we give you everything that we are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing is I was, I was reading through <clears throat> Psalm 15. Um, it, was, it was nice because I was also this morning in Exodus, and it's the passage where uh, Moses comes into the presence of God with the burning bush. And here the question that David has is, O oh Lord... Who shall sojourn in your tent and who shall dwell on your holy hill? Like who can come into your presence? I don't know if you, you think about this as all, at all, but are you worthy to be in the presence of God? How much time have you spent thinking about the holiness of God? Because when Moses is coming into the presence, and it's just a bush on fire, right? It's not like he's even seeing like the face of God or the white robes or anything. Here's a bush that's burning, and immediately Moses knows like this is holy ground. The shoes come off. He hides his face from God, and he falls to, his gr- falls to the ground. We see Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision of God and the train of God's robe is filling the temple. And Isaiah's first thought is, I'm, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be here. We see in Revelations, this so in the New Testament, maybe sometimes we think, oh, but that's the Old Testament. They don't have the spirit of God dwelling in them. So they haven't been forgiven of sins. They haven't been made right with God. So in Revelations, we see John, the the most beloved of Jesus. Angel of the Lord comes and his first response is, I'm not worthy, I shouldn't be here. And here, David's question is, oh Lord, who shall live with you? Who shall make their home with you? Signaling two things, like one, that's what we're, we're here for. That's what we're designed for. That's the pursuit. That's the goal is just to be in the presence of God. Who will be in his presence? How do we get there? But then the question of, but who can actually be there? Right? Like in some sense, I think like maybe an an analogy of, the presence of God and the goodness of God. It's not like when we come into the presence of God, it's, oh man, that's so bad, we're gonna die because like this is something negative. It's, no, it is so good that I can't be there, right? And so the sun, we know the sun is this incredible, amazing power in the earth and on the earth. It causes things to grow when we are at the right distance from the sun. There is this amazing flourishing, But the closer that we get to the source of that power, what happens? Burns us up, takes us out, we can't get there. And in some sense, that is what the presence of God is like. The closer we get to it, the more we begin to realize, how can I live here? How can I be sustained here? This is so good. This is so amazing. What do I do? And that's David's question is how do we even begin to be in the presence of something so incredibly good? And it's amazing what Jesus has done to allow us to get to that place where we can be 
in his presence, and we will be in his presence in eternity. But I think sometimes, maybe, and maybe it's just me, but I have this tendency to just jump straight to, oh no, it's good, it's grace. I can just boldly approach the throne, it's good. But why would the author of Hebrews say, boldly approach the throne? Because the first instinct reaction in us should be, how can I even come before him? How can I even bring these things to him? What do I even have to offer? And then when we look at Jesus in that moment, all of a sudden our hearts can delight and we can go, no, now with confidence because of what he has done, because of who he is, I can boldly approach the throne. But David's actually going to list out a a few things when he begins to ask that question of how do people begin to come into the presence of God. And one thing that I love about Psalm 15 is I think when we think of the Old Testament, we often think like the only way for people to be good was to obey the law. But here, David isn't even going to bring up any of the law. He's just going to address the heart of people and the actions that flow from the heart. And I love it because, you know, it's easy if we just look around at each other and go, oh, well, you love Jesus because you do this, and you don't love Jesus because you don't do that. But it's much harder when we actually have to look at the heart, and I don't actually know that about anyone in this room. And so there's, there's no condemnation if there's, like, conviction or guilt. Please, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, this is just some of the things that David would say. Uh, Here is how we come into the presence of the Holy One. And here is how we dwell in his house. And verse 2, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And here's something incredibly key. Like David knows he's not perfect. So this is the ideal standard that we are constantly falling short of when we come into his presence. But in the midst of this ideal standard and knowing we fall short... David has this pursuit, and I think it's what our pursuit should be, and it is that we long to be the ideal standard. And so Peter, he says, be perfect as God is perfect. Now, none of us are, but that is the pursuit And we should always be in this desire in this place where we're saying, Jesus, make me more like you. Make me perfect. Help me to know you. Help me to walk blamelessly, to be someone who does not sin, who does not fall, who in their heart only speaks truth. And I love that because I think we read through Scripture and constantly, what is the thing that deceives us? Our heart. Our emotions, our desires that are constantly at war with the emotions and the desires of God. And the quickest thing to accuse us when we have sinned, to cause us to feel shame and brokenness and to turn from God, is our heart, which is longing, longing to deceive us and take us away from the presence of God, to remove us from this pursuit of who he is. And here, David is saying, help us to be those who speaks truth in his heart. Are we the type of people who just allow ourselves to be carried by our emotions, by our desires, by what we see around us, by the circumstances? Or are we the types of people who say, no, I am going to evaluate what is going on in my heart. I'm going to take that desire, that emotion, that thinking, and I'm going to bring it to the word And I'm going to go, is this actually right and true? And here, the way that we come into the presence of God is by actually speaking truth to our own hearts. To not just being tossed. And and honestly, like, I don't think we have to look very far to know what happens when we just allow our hearts to be the thing that we deem as true. Right? We have a culture that is constantly moving, changing, desiring. And, and the, the, the mantra is 
to follow your heart. And here, the psalmist is saying, no, lead your heart, guide your heart, speak truth to your heart so that your heart can delight in God and you can be blameless and pursue God in that way. And who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend? So one who enters and can live with God is is actually one who puts their neighbor above themselves. David and and Jesus here are saying the exact same thing. I love that, that, that... when we read from Old Testament to New Testament, it is this congruent, beautiful book that is just building and growing. And the same thing that was important to God at one point is the same thing that is important to him later on. And Jesus specifically talks about not slandering. Right? The greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it to love our neighbors as ourselves. But what happens in our lives so easily? What happens in in church, in the body of believers so easily is bitterness creeps in, disunity creeps in. And I think the reason Paul, all throughout the New Testament, just drives at unity is because this comes so naturally to us. Disunity, slander, gossiping about the neighbor, just like not even checking in with a friend before you just believe what's been said, Um, just joining this group of people because you like their values and not even getting to know this other group of people, Uh, whatever it might be, this comes incredibly, incredibly natural to hearts that are so easily deceived. And this is why it's so important that we're speaking truth to our hearts because what we most often want to do is to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves feel good, to make ourselves feel right, and often to make everything about us. See, when my wife and I argue, which has never happened, but if we were to argue, what would happen, I imagine, is something to the effect of, she would say something that pricked my heart, and my emotions that I maybe didn't like or maybe I misunderstood. And then here is how all good arguments happen. From that point on, I don't speak truth to my heart. I just go, oh, well, she must have meant this. And now it's my turn, right? Now it's my turn. So I'm just going to go, and I'm just going to go word for word, Right? She's going to say something, then I'm going to say something back, and then she's going to be like, oh man, well he must have meant the worst. Like, I can't believe he would say that to me. Like, doesn't he know this about me? And and then now she's saying something again. And then like, I'm always actually the worst, and so like, I probably end the argument, which is not the good thing to do, and having the last word. But what happens is we immediately make every situation about ourselves. Most arguments, most disunity, most things that happen is because at some point we went, how dare they say that about who we are? And here David is saying, no, we actually need to be people who put everyone else above us. In the New Testament, it says that we should seek to outdo one another in showing honor. So my goal should never be, oh, I want to be right. Oh, I want to win this theological argument. Oh, I want people to see my prestige and my glory and my wisdom and my brilliance. I just want them to get it. I just, like, I just want to be pampered. And here it's, no, like everything about who God is is putting himself aside for the sake of people. So the Son, which we cannot even come close to getting to before we die and can't be in its presence, God, in His holiness, makes a way for us to be there. Jesus specifically says He puts aside certain things when He comes to earth. 
that Jesus dwells amongst a broken people, everything about who God is and the nature of God is selfless. And you see, even in the triune God that the Son worships the Father and the Spirit worships the Son and they're all worshiping even though they're equal, and yet there is this beautiful sense where it's, no, it's all about you. It's all about you. And the angels, it's all about you. And as people, it should be all about him. It should be all about how can I serve and honor and bless my neighbor and my brother? How can I lay my life aside for people? And we have to be incredibly cautious and careful because all of these things, and maybe it just speaks to how brutal of a person I am, but each of these things don't actually come naturally or first. And I think David knows that, and I think that's why so much of the Psalms are just him crying out to God, like, help me. Like, be with me. I need you in every moment, because everything about who you are isn't the thing that comes naturally to me. And I actually think that's what makes David one of the one who God says, he is a person after my heart. Because David gets something that so many of the Israelite people did not get. That every ounce of obedience to the law should flow from a delight in who God is, from a heart that is submitted and in worship to him. You see, these things can all become really good principles that we just say, oh yeah, like, like if everyone just didn't slander their neighbor and if everyone just didn't do evil to their neighbor and if everyone just didn't take up reproach and bitterness against their friend and if everyone just kind of like spoke really good values to themselves, then the world would be a better place and we would want to live in that world. And so we can get caught just thinking, oh, these are really good principles. But we have to remember that, like for Paul, it was, man, you can do all the good in the world. But apart from Jesus and understanding who he is and delight in him, like that's just filthy rags. Like it, it's whatever. Right? And even as, as believers, Paul again in 1 Corinthians, he's like, man, you can... You can be the best prophet, you can be the most like holy person just ripping in another language, you can go do missions and serve and whatever you want, but what if you have not love, whatever. And David gets that, that this is actually about an orientation of our heart and our being to say, it's all about you, Jesus. You are my life. You are my purpose. You are my desire. And honestly, evaluating like and being real, like if that's not the case, then like I just want to get on my face and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Make it that way. And to go, God, obviously I don't meet that standard. But man, I want to. Help me to get there. Rather than taking up reproach against a friend, looking at brothers and sisters in the room and saying, no, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to lay out my mess before you. Let's get there together. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fears the Lord. This one kind of like messes me up a little bit, right? Maybe, maybe you, maybe not, but. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But haven't like we spent our whole life being taught like love vile people? Like it's just all about love. And yet here David's like, no. And, and if you read through the Psalms, it gets a little bit scary at some points the amount of times that David is like, I despise the wicked. And where he begins to pray, God, crush the wicked. But that only messes us up if we forget verse 1. When we remember 
that first and foremost, God is for God. He is for his holiness. He is for his glory because he knows who he is and he is worthy of those things. It is only when we forget that God is completely perfect and other and brilliant that we just go, oh no, yeah, obviously like Jesus loves everyone and so it's okay that people sin and like everyone's probably going to be saved in the end and, and we don't ever want to offend people and we don't ever want to tell them maybe they are sinning because Jesus just would love and he would never do that. But who does Jesus ultimately love? What's Jesus' purpose when he comes to earth? He comes to bring the Father glory. And what is the thing that brings the Father glory? Well, one of them is saving those who seek him. But we only get messed up with verses like this when we forget who God actually is. And let's be clear, this is not saying that you now mistreat and abuse and hate people who don't follow God, but I think what David is doing here is he is saying, look, there are things that I just don't want to be a part of. And we see that through the Psalms. He says, there are things like I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to be in the presence of sin. I don't even want to know those things. I don't want to dabble in those things. And what's the Christian life? Most, most, most of the Christian life is like, Jesus, like, where is the line? Where's the line on purity? I just want to get like, I just want to get there, but I don't want to cross it. Like, is it like, is it a lustful thought or is it pornography? Is it like sex outside of marriage? Like, where's that line? I just want to get to it. And then like, oh God, like, what about like love of money? Like, like, can I have, like, four Corvettes and, like, if I, if I, like, but then if I still love you, but then if I use my money in that way, like, where's the line of what I can do? And I think David, and let's say, like, David was, was loaded, so I'm not critiquing four Corvettes. I'm just, I'm critiquing the questions that we ask. God, like, what's, like, what's a house that's maybe, like, too big and what's too much to spend on the house? Because I want to just be like just under that. So then I'm like kind of like this holy, uh, good steward of finances. Like where is the line? You know, like making disciples, like, oh, like, oh, is, like is making disciples, like when you say go make disciples, is that more like go and if a disciple presents themselves, like then, yeah, maybe I'll make them, but like probably I should pray about who I should disciple. Or are you saying like make disciples? And do I, do I want to obey? We think of like where is the line? Let me get as close to it. And David all through the Psalms is like, I don't even want to come close to that. <clears throat> John Piper would word it this way. He says our question should not be God how close to the line can I get? Or even, God, what is right and what is wrong? He says the question should be, God, what is going to bring you the most glory? And that just flips the whole thing on its head. Because when we begin to ask God, what is going to bring you the most glory? Then we don't even spend time thinking about the line. We're not even going to be close to the line. And we're not going to be concerned about the line because we know instinctually as believers who have the Spirit of God in us, what is actually going to bring glory to God and what is the best use of our time and our finances and our possessions and our thinking and our emotions. And David here is, look, I want to hate sin. I want to hate evil things. I don't want to spend time even getting close. Because look, look who the Holy One is and who, how good He is. Right? And if, if we are okay with even just thinking about like what's the line and, and where can I go, then I think we need to be people who just honestly say like, God, I, like I repent. Like I just, like clearly I'm more concerned with how I'm going to live and what I'm going to get and what I'm going to do here than just like it all being about you and I want to know you. And these are the things that, honestly, I'm repenting of probably as I'm speaking right now. Holy Spirit has a great way of just convicting you over and over. I thought we were done on Thursday, but. 
but who honors those who fear the Lord. It's pretty self-explanatory. We want to be people who honor those who fear the Lord, who spend time with those who fear the Lord, who encourage one another in the fear of the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And honestly, this is like where I've, I was most convicted of. <clears throat> and I certainly am not going to blame, blame culture. I'm just going to say I have fallen into culture. And lots of people would say, well, no you, no, you didn't. Like, you live in the north end of Winnipeg. You served there. Like, generally, when people ask me, like, where do you live or where do you work in the north end, I just say, turn on the TV, watch the news. That's where we live. And most people go, oh, no, like, like you obviously are sacrificing. But I just didn't think, think I was. I was beginning to get caught up with this idea that I just wanted to live in a bit of a nicer place. Like I didn't want to wake up every night with screaming and like with gunshots and different things going off. Like God just like, like wouldn't you want me to actually like be safe and, and be comfortable and just to have it all? And, and do I really need to sacrifice for the sake of the lost and the broken and for fellow believers? But here, those who dwell on the holy hill are those who swears to his own herd and does not change that when things get hard, when everything's against you, that your conviction doesn't change, that your pursuit doesn't change, that you just say, no, I have my eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, not looking to the left, not looking to the right. He is my pursuit, whatever happens. And uh, I think the biggest challenge uh, while we were in San Francisco and listening to them talk was that one of the core values of We Are Church, which is this house church planting movement, is embrace suffering. And now they made a very clear distinction between like longing for suffering and desiring suffering and being those who embrace suffering. Many believers that I talk to and have talked to, when they begin to think about the politics in Canada and what could happen, you know, there's a good chance that churches are going to lose charity statuses and all of these different things are going to be taken away and people begin to get fearful. And there's going to be this great desire in the hearts of believers to say, well, do I really have to suffer that much? Maybe I can just change my theology a bit. Maybe, maybe I don't need to really make disciples. Maybe telling people about Jesus isn't that important. Maybe some of these things don't matter. And here David is like, no. To be in the holy place of God and to dwell with God is to say it's all about you no matter what happens. I'm going to pursue you no matter how hard it gets, no matter what I suffer. And Francis was really struck with when he went to, to the church in China. Because originally we, our church, didn't have that as one of their core values. But when he went to visit house church pastors in China, he realized and found out from them that that was one of their core values. And he heard stories of people who, there was this, this one house church where the pastor and the elder and then about four other people had been taken to a prison. And as they were being arrested and they were taken, they began to have an argument among themselves. And their argument wasn't, I don't want to, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to suffer. Like, how do we get out of this? What can we say? It was the first thing that happened was, the pastor said, I get to suffer first because I'm the pastor. And the elder said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're just a pastor. I am the elder. I get to suffer and die first. And they had a Bible and they ripped out pages and each one of them took a few verses and they hid them. And as they were in prison, 
They were reading this and worshiping God and Francis met them as they were released eventually. And he's sitting with them and each of them began to recount this story and here is what they said. They said, I wish I could be back in that place. And they began to talk and go, wasn't it so beautiful when all we had to do and all we could do was just rely on God? Wasn't the presence of God so good and so full when we swore to our own hurt and did not change. Are we a church in Canada, in Rosenort, that can withstand that type of thing? Right, like to honestly evaluate, like where is my heart? Do I have a love for Jesus that says, oh man, I am ready and willing to embrace. I'm not saying you should be gluttons for punishment or just be like, okay, Jesus, right now, then like bring the swordsmen, the gunsmen, let's go. I want to suffer in that way. No, but the question is, is, is my heart so completely devoted and longing for the presence of Jesus and so sure of who he is and so sure of the need of Jesus' salvation in people's lives that it's like, man, I don't care what people do to me. And honestly, I've had a great example my whole life that I don't measure up to. So I don't measure up to God and I don't measure up to Jake Hortons either because this is a man who just doesn't care. He doesn't care what people are going to say about him. Doesn't care what people are going to do to him. If you've talked to him and you've asked him a question, like... <clears throat> Like, I have some tattoos, and so I'm not going to get into an argument right now about whether they're good or bad or, or where they stand. But my next one will be rejoicing in the Lord. Because if you've ever asked my dad, how are you doing? His first response has annoyed me to no end my whole life, but I think it's still good. Um, it is rejoicing in the Lord. And he will tell everyone and anyone that. And then he will say, what about you? And you'll say it to anyone in a restaurant, and this is why it annoys me, because I'm a little bit ashamed, and I get a little embarrassed, because, like, I'm not even ready to fully not change and swear to my own hurt in, like, a restaurant in Winnipeg where my dad is, like, rejoicing in the Lord and you, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to engage someone with the gospel, and I don't, you know, I have all these questions, and he's like, man, I don't care. All I want is to just, like, be able to love people. And whether or not that's how you're going to do it or I'm going to do it is not the, the point. The point is when we ask ourselves, why wouldn't we do that? Is it because we would not want to be embarrassed? We would not want to be ashamed. We would not want people to think a certain way about us. Even this morning on the drive here, and as I walked into the room... My first thought was, oh man, I hope I do like, oh, I am Francis Channing it now. This is embarrassing. <laughs> oh man, I was like, I really hope like they like what I have to say. And they think like I did an okay job at the very least. And my first thing was like, well, maybe... Maybe there's some things like I shouldn't say because maybe like some people like won't like that. And like this is in a body of believers with brothers and sisters and my first thought and concern is like, oh man, what are, what are they going to like think of, of what, I, what I say? Like are they, are, am I going to be as good as Mike uh, or Jesse? I mean these guys have been going through the Psalms and for the last couple of weeks and I'm just jumping in. And like in and amongst brothers and sisters who long for the presence of God, I was already thinking of, maybe like I want to change some things because maybe it could be too hard. And if like in the safest place in the world, that's my thought, then what's my thought going to be like in every other place? And it was just another time to go, man, God, my heart is just not nearly as close to you as I would want. Change my heart. I think we say that lots, right? Like, people are like, how's your relationship with God? Many people's first response is like, oh, well, it's not where it could be. 
Right, like it's like we all know that, but then we use that as our like get out of jail free card where we then don't actually repent and seek to change. It's just our way of going, oh, well, it's not as good as it could be and I know that, so then I'll just go on with my life knowing that it's not as good as it could be. Rather than going, man, it isn't as good as it could be. Like I'm not getting this, but man, Jesus, I want to be there. And who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Again, just closing off in this psalm with it's not about me. And I think we see this beautifully lived out in Acts chapter 2. And we see the same commands in the gospel and in the New Testament letters where when we give, we should give with joy. When we give, we should give with ex- without expecting anything back. And in Acts 2 where the believers had all things in common. And clearly... This isn't a command that you have to share your home and you have to sell your stuff and give it to everyone because Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to, right? They weren't killed because they didn't give or didn't even want to. It was because they lied about it and their heart wasn't there. And in here, this is, all of these things are about a heart thing. And I think it's very easy for us to just evaluate where we are and where our love for Jesus is by how we live, but then, most importantly, just looking through this and going, where's my heart? And I, I can't speak for all of you, but I just want to close <clears throat> with this, because I've had the opportunity to speak in all the other churches. This was the last one. It took you guys a long time, but that's fine. I've... I've I forgave you a long time ago. You might never have me back, but that's, that's cool. I don't blame you, actually. You were probably the wisest for waiting so long, really. Um, but here's what I, I want to say, and I've had the opportunity to say this to every other church. Because my dad's told me a lot, my mom's told me a lot about how incredibly supportive, emotionally and spiritually and financially, people in this congregation have been to my family. And I just want to say, thank you so much. I live in the North End, and in the North End, many of the people are in the place they are and are on welfare and assistance, just like we were growing up. And as I've lived there, I've thought many times, the only reason we did not grow up in that place and I did not grow up in that kind of environment was because by God's grace, he put us in Rosenort with some of the most generous people that I know where grocery bills were paid, where we had Christmas presents, where I got to play sports that I wouldn't have been able to play. And that was because of the generosity. And I know many of you probably benefit from from being at the coffee shop. But that's a thing that runs and is provided for our family because of the incredible generosity of people who come and who pay obscene, ridiculous amounts of money for a cup of, honestly, no offense, subpar coffee. (laughs) You are drinking canned Tim Hortons coffee, which I'm sure at its best is like half drugs and half coffee beans, which I guess is maybe a drug. And yet you do it, and why? Because, yeah, maybe there's other parts where you are going to say, you know what, this is where I need to be changed. Yet maybe God isn't, isn't number one and at the center, and he isn't my drive here. But from my evaluation, and you have to check your heart, but I would say that when it comes to who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, that you have done very well as a body of believers. And so just like with all that I am, I just want to say thank you so much and honor you for your generosity. And as we seek to do all these things, we can have confidence 
that we will never be moved. When we pursue these things, and our heart is this way, no matter what happens around us, you will never be moved. And so that's my prayer for us this morning as I close. Father, you are holy. And even now in this moment, apart from what you have done for us, we would not be worthy to say a thing. Isaiah, in your presence, doesn't speak a word and can't sing holy, holy, holy with the angels because he is too impure and needs you to cleanse his mouth before he can even join in in simple worship. God, help us never to take for granted who we have in you and what we have in you. I pray that you would continue to bless Pleasant Valley abundantly beyond what they could ever ask or imagine for. I pray that you would knit our hearts together and unite us and cause us to be people who have everything about us be for your namesake, for your glory. That you would, where we do not love you and delight in you, where our lives aren't fully surrendered to you, where we don't crave and long for your presence, when we don't, we don't care to be in the word for ourselves or we pray for five minutes and we just, there isn't this delight and longing to just be in your presence and we say, man, all I need is the word of God. All I need is his presence. When we aren't that way, God, forgive us and change us and help us to be a people who are just desperately after you, knowing that you have given everything for us and pursue us unworthy people in making us worthy to call you Lord and Savior. <clears throat> and I pray, God, even this morning, if there are those in, in this room who you would be calling and saying, go, go out, that Holy Spirit, you would give confidence and desire to say, God, whatever you want, if I've become too comfortable, whatever you want, wherever you want me, I'm open. And God, just use us as your people to see many come to know you and delight in you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn our songbooks to number 428, Anywhere with Jesus, number 428.